Uh, would you pray with me? And then we'll get going for this morning. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you that we can all be here. We thank you that it's warm, it's dry. Uh, and we can come to this place and, uh, and learn about what you have to say about us, uh, about how we can find joy in this world of ours. Uh, Lord, will your spirit be, uh, will be, may we be mindful of your spirit in this place. Uh, may we allow it to speak to us today uh, and transform us so that we can be uh, bright and shining stars in our, our world. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, is it still too early to talk, late to talk about goals in January? How are your January goals going? Eh, we got one thumbs up over here. Any goals? You're, do, you're doing good, good. Everybody else kind of forget about them? How many of you seen the Mayhem commercials with the Allstate guy? And he's, he's trying to be good, and then he realized that nobody else, and so he's a road flare, and now he's going to go back to starting things on fire. Uh, we get to that part in our goals. Uh, when, I, when I look at uh, this passage uh, that we read, I think Paul is, is setting a SMART goal for the Philippian church. Do you know about SMART goals? Some of you hear SMART goals and automatically start twitching because it reminds you of work. Uh, I, I was introduced to SMART goals in college. We, I had a soccer coach. Uh, yes, I used to play soccer. Uh, I had a soccer coach that would want us to make goals, and so we would come up with, I want to cut my mile time down, and then he always said, well, let's make this goal smart, because I guess mine were all stupid, and, and he would say, we need to put some teeth to this. So if you know smart goals, you know that they need to be specific, that they're measurable, they're achievable, uh, they're relevant, and they're time-bound, and this is what makes the goal smart. And so instead of saying something like, I, I want to get two more clients this year for my consulting business, which is a good goal to have. Those who have, have made a smart goal know how to make that a little bit better. It would be, uh, I want to get two more clients this in the, each quarter in my consulting business by participating in a monthly networking group. So it gives you the steps in order to make the goal happen so we don't get halfway through and say, ah, oh, forget it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make it. And so Paul, I think, is giving people here a smart goal. Did you all catch the goal when Bryn read it? Let me read it for you again. Uh, here in verse 14, this is the passage ends with the smart goal. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may, be, <laughs> so that you may become blameless and pure children of God in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky as you, uphold, as you hold firmly to the word of life. There's the goal. That's what Paul wants for the Philippian church. This is what he wants them to be acting like uh, when they're around each other. He wants no grumbling. He doesn't want any complaining. So why was this a big deal for him? There's a lot happening in this passage. There's a lot of words. We're going to talk about words today. I don't normally do word studies, but there's a lot of cool words in this, so we'll get there. But first, we need to realize who Paul is talking to in this context. He's, this, this scripture wouldn't be read by individuals sitting at home with their cup of coffee and their journal and the Bible and a camera uh, and, and taking pictures of their devotional all by themselves, like what we usually do here. Uh, this passage would have been read a lot like this in someone's home. Uh, the, the leader of that house church would have gotten up and began to read it. And who's hearing this? Anybody who can come to that house church in Philippi, there would have been a wide spectrum of people there. 
There would have been slaves sitting next to slaveholders. There would have been Jews. There would have been Greeks. There would have been Greek Jews. There would have been Romans. And there would have been whoever else can come. So you have a diverse group of people coming to this place. Paul is writing and he has these illusions uh, 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 for, for what he's talking about. He uses words that if you've grown up in the Jewish religion, if you've grown up Hebrew, you catch on to these words. And what would have happened if, if Carl's sitting here and, you, and you're sitting there and, and you don't understand a word, he would have looked over and went, Psst, this is about that. I'll tell you later. And so there, there's this mutual understanding of how, what this passage means. They would have read it in a group, they would have digested it in a group, and they would have applied it in the group. And this seems weird to us, right? This doesn't seem like something that we would normally do because our culture is different from theirs. Our culture worships on the altar of individualism. We have our own rights. We have our own desires, what we want to do. We have our own worship style. We change churches because we don't like our worship style, as if we have our own little band behind us that plays exactly what we like at all times. We have our own preferences. We have our own rights. We have our own ideas, and we fight for them, and they're the individual rights. This kind of mindset wasn't around in the Philippian church. And this is what Paul is trying to address. Paul's saying that, hey, this, this is a, a community of people. If you want to find joy in your community, here's the goal. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. That's the goal that he's shooting for. This is the kind of letter you heard. And then uh, to, to prove his, to what I'm trying to say here, what Paul is saying here, is there's that word your. We read the word your with our individualistic brain, and we think, oh, this is talking about me. No, it's talking about y'all. In fact, if it was Texan, it would say, work out y'all salvation. This is all yours. If you're from New York and you're a mobster in your zoot suit, you would say, use guises. This is your, this is the plural form of it all. Your salvation, this church, work out your salvation. Are you a part of the group? Yes. Are you an individual? Yes. Do you make up the entire body? Yes, you are a part of something bigger than yourself. And so Paul is addressing the entire community and saying this is your salvation. This is how all you all will get along. This is the goal that you do this. And the first step, he says, is, is do things without complaining or grumbling. Complaining and grumbling. This is that part where Paul starts to refer to various places throughout Scripture. And you have some people who might be new to the faith inside of this house. And so they don't know about this. And so Carl, who's been here a while, will look over and say, hey, this is about this. And he says, complaining and grumbling. That comes from, and we have this on a slide. Complaining and grumbling is a reference to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14. It's this time where, where the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt and all they can do was complain and grumble. So I'll tell you about that story afterwards, okay, cool. And then they move on and say, and then there's this warped and crooked, or then they say blameless and pure in Carl, who, who, and then another person, maybe not Carl, but someone else says, oh, that's a reference to Genesis 17. And then they say, oh, warped and crooked, 
That's a reference to Deuteronomy 32. And all along shine like stars, Daniel 12, run and not labor in vain is Isaiah. And so you have these passages that Paul is clearly pointing to. He's quoting them and saying, this is what I'm referring to. You don't, don't grumble, don't complain, don't labor in vain. And the community is looking at this and saying, this is where they come from. And they're telling the story of scripture, but really they're telling the story of how they got to be where they are because they're all a part of this. The rabbis used to tell a story about when they, when they left Egypt, when the people of Israel left Egypt. And so this is the grumble and complain, and maybe they would tell this story. And I've told it here before a couple times, but there was a group of people, when they, the rabbis share it, they're walking through the Red Sea, and they start complaining. These two guys start complaining as they're walking in the Red Sea that their feet are getting muddy. There's a rock in their toe. And all they can do is go, man, so much mud, I, this is stupid. And maybe they have new white sandals, and they're getting dirty. And they're getting more and more upset that they are having to walk in mud and they're complaining and they're grumbling and they're looking down at what's happening. And the whole time, the rabbis would say, they never cease to stop and look at the wall of water to their left. And they missed it. So Paul is alluding back to that kind of story. Don't grumble and complain. Why? Because when you grumble and complain, most likely you're doing this and you're so focused on your stuff that you miss what God is doing around you. This is the goal for Paul. Don't grumble and complain about everything that comes your way. Don't get so single-minded focused that all you can see is your problems, your little rock in the sandal that you forget what God is doing all around you. Don't miss it. The word complain here in, in the, in the Greek, uh, Greek word, is, it's a fun one. It's the word uh, gongizmos. And I was telling a couple guys yesterday, it's a fun word to look out. Gongizmos. Say it with me. Gongizmos. What does it sound like? What's that? Yeah? Gongizmos. Gong. Gong. Loud annoying. Do we know what an automatopoeia is? A word that sounds like its definition, like drizzle, drip, barbaric. Gongizmos, gong, clanging cymbal, loud, so loud that you can't hear anything else happening around you. Complaining and grumbling, Paul says, gongizmos, stop with the gongizmos. You're loud and you're missing it. It's an onomatopoeia here. How many of you get stuck in the complaining circle where you are so focused on things that you forget to look around and see what God is doing? And Paul is saying, I don't want you to get so focused where you miss it. The people who have come before you complained and they missed it. You don't have to repeat the same mistakes. They complained, you don't have to. They grumbled, you don't have to. They missed the very presence of God and you don't have to. Carrie and I were talking, uh, Carrie's my wife, and we were talking the other night and we were uh, looking back. We've been up here for four years and we were thinking about the previous four years when we lived in California and everything that happened to us in those first four years of our marriage. It was rough. But as we look back on it, there was a lot of complaining from my end 
of things. And as I look back and we talk and I said, we wouldn't trade those days. We didn't like them. We don't want to go through those days again. But we learned so much from those days. But we were, I was so busy complaining during those times that I missed them until now. And I look back and go, oh, okay. How much different would my perspective be if I was able to stop the complaining, stop the grumbling, and actually see what God might be doing in the midst of the complaining? And that's very hard to do. But that's the goal, right? That's what Paul wants from us. Stop complaining, stop grumbling, gongizmos. Stop playing the loud music when you're trying to listen to something that's very quiet. Stop complaining. And so Paul says, this is the goal. Now, how do you get to the goal? Let's make it smart. So let's back up to the beginning of Philippians. The first step in achieving the goal, Paul says to start in your relationships. In the, chapter two, verse one, he comes from, he's, he's finishing his thought from the first chapter where he says, uh, be of the mind of Christ, and, or not be of the mind of Christ, but have, you know, contend for the gospel. This is who you belong to. And then he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing of the spirit, if there is any tenderness of compassion. Now those are some big words, right? Here's what they mean. Encouragement. He uses that word. It's the word paraclesis. This might be on the screen. It's two words that are bought, came, come together. Now, sorry for the boring word stuff. Hopefully it'll all make sense at the end of it all. If it doesn't, well, you learn some new words. Uh, it's two words that come together, par, with, kaleo, to call, to carry, to care for. What this encouragement means is walking along with somebody, shoulder to shoulder. It's an encouragement. You comfort someone who needs refreshment. So Paul says, if there is any of, of this in your midst, and then he moves on, and he adds, if there is any comfort, it's the word paramethion, it, it's soothing. It's reminding somebody that they're going to be okay. Here's a fun fact. This is the only time it's mentioned in the entire New Testament. Paul uses this one specifically. In that things that they're going through, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna make it. So if you're encouraging, if there is any comfort, and then he adds the word common sharing or the word koinonia, which is a fellowship, an association, a communion, a joint participation, having anything in common anything like you had the same donut together anything you both like coffee anything find the least common denominator between you and that is what he's getting at this is koinonia this is the common part of it all and then there's this word tenderness splagshon that's a fun one right it it this is where we get our word spleen this is your guts, the tenderness, the tenderness. Uh, we get spleen. It's the feel, it's the sense, anything that you get any kind of emotion from. For the Hebrew mindset, the guts is where we felt things. It's where you had pity. This was the center of it all. And so they're saying, if you have any pity, any tenderness among you, any kindness this is where also where they thought the idea of mercy would reside. If you ever see something and it just punches you in the gut because you saw it, that's the word that Paul is saying here. If you have any of this, 
So if you have encouragement, if you have common sharing, if you have comfort, if you have tenderness, and then if you have compassion, it's our emotions. It, it, it's the word oiktirmas. I took more Hebrew than Greek, so we're going to work through that. It's the longings. It's, it's where we get pity. And Paul says, if you have any of this. Now the word if, what well, we can read this and go, oh, they don't have any. Well, they, they're obviously absent, but that's not what if means. If is kind of like this. Uh, last night, Carrie got up from, from uh, reading in the couch, and I was working on stuff, and she went to the kitchen. And while she was there, I called it a since you was. I said, hey, Carrie, since you was up, can you get some trail mix, put it in a bowl, and bring it over? She's already up. Since you're already up, it's something you're already there. Paul isn't saying, since you don't have this. He's saying, no, 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 no. Since you're up, since you have this, since you already have achieved these things, these are the good things that Paul, or that Paul is saying that God has started in you. Since all of this has come, you have this, he's saying. This is already in you. And since it's already in you, he comes in and says in verse two, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Since you have encouragement, comfort, common sharing, tenderness, and compassion, since you already have this, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. Now we can read this and we say, oh, we all have to agree on everything because we have to be in unity. We think unity is all dressing the same, liking the same foods, saying the same words, almost like we're automatic robots and some sort of mindless people. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying we all have to agree on everything. He's saying that we have to be in unity it's that common thing. If you can focus on the things that you have in common, be of a like mind. He's not wanting us to be in robots. He wants us to always speak the truth in love. And sometimes we're going to disagree, and that's just fine. In fact, if we all agreed on something uh, in lockstep, I'd be worried. Paul is saying that you're going to have disagreements, but still in your disagreements, have compassion, have tenderness, be encouraging. Unity doesn't mean that we disagree, but when, or that we agree, but when we disagree, we still have each other in high esteem. I can still ask for forgiveness when I've done something wrong. You can still go to somebody and say, I handled this incorrectly. You can still speak the truth in love and disagree and still be friends. In our culture, we have this thing, this binary thing, where if you don't agree with me 100% and like everything that I put on Facebook, and then if you don't do that, then we can't be friends. I can't talk to you if we had a different voting pattern. We're so binary. And if you disagree with one thing about me, we're done. I'm not gonna invite you uh, to the next thing I'm doing. I'm, going, I'm not gonna unfriend you on Facebook. I'm gonna unfollow you because that's the passive aggressive way of doing it. But we do this, we laugh, but we do this. If someone is different, if someone has a different opinion than us, rather than saying, okay, we disagree about this and moving on with friends, as friends, we cut them out. 
Paul is saying here, you're going to disagree. Look at your church. It's filled with a whole bunch of different people from a variety of backgrounds. You have slaves and slaveholders. You have Romans, you have Greeks. You probably have some people from Macedonia up there. You're, all gonna not, you're not gonna all agree on everything all the time. And when you disagree, do so graciously. And we'll cheat a little bit. He goes on to say this in the next chapter in, in Philippians 3.15. We might say this again to, uh, next week, but it fits here too. He says in Philippians 3.15, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. What he's saying is if you disagree, it's okay. God's probably made it clear to you. Paul doesn't see his job as the apostle to get everyone to agree lockstep on the same thing. He talks about this more in Romans 14. It's Rome. It's a different city, but it's a city of, it's a pluralistic city. There's a ton of different ideas coming through. Here's what Paul says in Rome. Romans 14, accept one, accept the one whose faith is weak. Here's the key. Without quarreling over the disputable matters. He even gives it a name. Disputable. We can argue about this. What this means, in our, maybe in our context, you might be a Calvinist. You might come from that tradition. I do not. We can still get along. I'll be right. (laughs) Kidding. No, I'm not. But we can disagree on this. It's disputable. And then Paul continues. One person's faith might allow them to eat anything, but another person who's weak only eats vegetables. You hear that, vegetarians? You're weak. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally, (laughs) probably healthier than a lot of people. But uh, they wouldn't eat meat because it was offered to idols, so it was considered unclean, so they didn't eat it. They thought it was their uh, moral obligation to abstain from anything like that. Other people found no problem with it. And Paul's saying, this is disputable. Some of you can eat it, some of you can't in good conscience. It's disputable. Don't argue about it. Be cool. Don't, don't think that they're less or don't think that they're more. Don't put them aside. And then he moves from, from food to sacred days. One person considers one day more sacred than another. This is about the Sabbath. When did they go to church? People thought they would go on Saturday. Some people went on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And so he says, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and they give thanks to God. Paul's assuming here there's going to be differences among you. Everybody has opinions, and they've all landed in different spots. This is one of the things that makes Bethany one of the reasons I like Bethany so much. We have this saying that says we have essentials that we all agree upon, person of Christ who God is, the Trinity, the things that, that in order to be a salvation, a Christian, this is what we agree upon. Then we have the non-essentials. You're a Calvinist. I'm not. You think this about scripture. I think a little differently. Those are non-essentials. We can come back and agree on the essentials. We, we, this is where we agree upon. We can disagree here, but in both of these areas, in the essentials and the non-essentials, we have grace. That is the overarching thing in all of these. So we're going to disagree. But when we disagree, we have grace. 
It's sort of like this thing with football teams. Most of you like the Seahawks, right? That's fine. Both of our teams are not playing today. Majority of you like the Seahawks. I do not. I like the team in Santa Clara or San Francisco, depending on your geography. Uh, and so I like that team. What, what can we agree on? Football. football. Most of us like football. Most of us. Maybe 50%. Most of us listen to music in our commute, right? Music. Some of you like the rock and roll. Some of you like the hip-hop. And I'm saying the because it makes me sound old. Some of you like R&B. Some of you like that god-awful stuff called country. That's fine. My wife likes to change my radio stations and hide a country one in there. What can we agree upon? Music. We're going to have things where we disagree. We're going to disagree on a lot of things. But in the essentials, we agree upon. We don't all have to look the same, dress the same. We don't all have to be the same. But in everything we have, we seek the charity of the other person for the transformation of Christ. This is how we get along. So we're not complaining and grumbling because so-and-so disagrees with me about what and what. That's not what our focus is. Our focus is on Christ, who is transforming that individual to be more and more like him. And we can agree on that happening in all of our lives. Everything else we can disagree on. But since we have encouragement, since we have love and compassion, since we have common sharing, since we have comfort and tenderness, and since we have mercy, we can disagree and still be okay with each other. And since we have all of those things, there's one more step to make not complaining and grumbling feasible. Paul gives us an example. He says, have the attitude of Christ Jesus in verse five in chapter two, in your relationships with one another. So again, this is focused on relationships. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, this was a song when it was originally written. Paul is ripping off a song. He's, this was originally written about Nero. Paul is changing it to make it about God and Jesus. So it's kind of a little countercultural thing he's doing to stick it to his Roman guards. He's saying this, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the cross. To the, uh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on the cross. And here's the part where he stole from Nero. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then everybody stands up and claps. Paul is saying, if you want to have relationships that are healthy, if you want to find joy in your relationships, first of all, stop complaining and grumbling. One, have the common sharing. Don't be arguing about so much stuff all the time. And last, have the mind of Christ. The word grasp is another fun word called, called harpagmos. It, it's translated to seize violently or to grasp or to snatch it's, not a, it's, it's something where you grab onto and hold onto it for your dear life. 
So Paul says that Jesus, the mind of Christ, is that, is that Jesus did not consider his divine qualities something that he can divinely grasp and hold on to and use for his own advantages. Instead, he let him go. Why? So that he can come here to us. He let him go. He put himself under instead of always demanding the upper hand. How many of you do what I do at, at stoplights when it's a long stoplight? I start to daydream. Not on my phone. I'm daydreaming. And I'm thinking about what superpower I really, really want. Yeah? Flying. That'd be cool. Uh, uh, maybe it's to turn green and get huge and running things over like the Hulk. Or maybe it's having a cool suit like Batman. That's what, that was his superpower. Him and Tony Stark are just rich. Uh, but they have cool suits. I start thinking what I want. Superhuman speed like the Flash where I can run places. And I start thinking of why I want all of these things. It's so I can be really cool. It's so I can do things. It's a selfish motive. Paul is talking to a culture that is very good at grasping things. Roman army, retired Roman people, Roman army people. I got that right eventually. He's talking to these people who are very good at grasping, to a culture that says, I'm going to get mine at whatever cost it takes me. I'm going to get what's mine. So I'm going to have the, I'm going to step on people along the way. I'm going to bite. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to gain the upper hand in whatever it takes to me to get the upper hand. That doesn't happen in our culture, right? We don't have that kind of competitive or that kind of grasping happening where we are. So this might be foreign to all of us, but it's not. It's embedded in of us. We've been told from the day we've been born to grab and, and, and yell and kick and scream until we get our way because it's a rat race and it's a ladder and you better climb it before somebody else gets there. But the incarnation of Christ, what Paul is talking about here, is the antithesis to everything that's in that culture. Although Jesus had access to, to the divine privilege and power, he had the identity of God with him. He didn't use it for his own gain. He sets it aside so that he can be in proper relationship with us. Jesus modeled a way of living that doesn't revolve around, around getting, but revolves around giving. The world we know, the world of Paul's writing, was all about harpogmos. But Jesus shows us a different way, and Paul says the way to get to the goal of not complaining and shining like stars is stop trying to grab a hold of things so tightly. When you do this, Paul says, this was Jesus' mindset. When you do this, things will change in your life. You'll start to look different. This is a theme that runs through Paul's letters. In Thessalonians, he said, have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Have the same attitude of Christ. Same word being used there. He says, when you suffer, know that Christ suffered. In Corinth, he says the same thing. Uh, when, when you don't cause another person to stumble, have the same mind of Christ. And here in Philippi, it means being loving, being united, being humble, be willing to put the interest of one another ahead of your own. And when you live like this, your goal will be accomplished. God will act and you'll be able to see it. God will move 
and you will notice it because your head's not down. And then we can rest because we know it's God who's working in us to fulfill what he started. And then you shine like stars in the universe. At Malibu, there's a, a dock. It's the outer dock. And as you walk out there, we did this with a couple guys last year. You walk out there, you get away from the camp, you get away from the lights. It is the darkest I've ever seen. And you look up and I've never seen so many stars. And then some of them start moving and it creeps you out because that's like Sputnik up there spying on you and, and it's a satellite. And then you see shooting stars and then you see everything. What you don't see, airplanes, nothing. It's just pitch black and stars and the stars are so bright. This is the imagery that Paul is giving us. The world around us is dark. The world around us is all about grasping and seizing and complaining and having differences and putting people in categories. And Paul says, you want to stand out? You want to have joy? You want to be like the stars at Malibu? Uh, be like Christ. Then you will shine like stars in a crooked generation. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you give us the example of how we should be in relationship with one another. You give us an example and you give us this goal and, and there's a lot of work that comes with it. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, search us today and uh, show us the next step to achieving this goal. Maybe it's instead of complaining, we pray. Maybe it's instead of complaining, we be quiet and try and look around and see the places where you're moving. And though it might not be our way or the way we would want it to go, your way might be better. And so, Lord, maybe it's allowing us to see a different way than our own. God, maybe finding joy or meeting this goal is by having a relationship with someone who completely disagrees with us, someone who's opposite. Maybe through that relationship, God, you can show us uh, the ways in which we are the same. Even if it's the only thing that we have in common is we both like coffee. We could start there. Lord, allow us understanding in our relationships and then allow us to build and show you. God, may the people in this place this morning have your mind the mind of Christ. And as we develop your mind, as you transform us into the likeness of you, may we stand out in this dark world. May we offer hope when currently there doesn't look like a lot of hope. Or may we offer respect and encouragement and compassion and tenderness and mercy in a world that seems absent of all of those. May we shine. May we give the glory back to you. May we just simply reflect what you're doing in each and every one of us. And then, Lord, may we bask in your joy. It's in your name we pray.